The Gospel reading is taken from John, chapter 8, starting at the first verse. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus. Now, now, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the gospel of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, teach us what you want us to hear this morning. Open our eyes and hearts to receive all that you have for us. Let us hear and receive your holy word. We ask that you would bless it within us, that we would leave this place transformed more in your likeness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, forgiveness. Caught in the act of adultery, dragged naked into a public gathering place, humiliated by her sin, separated from anyone or her lover to protect her, judged, sentenced to death by self-righteous leaders, and then placed before the King of Kings, who is pure and holy. This is how the Apostle John describes this opening scene of one of the most poignant and significant passages of Scripture talking about forgiveness. The story reads like a modern soap opera, doesn't it? With immoral activities in which the affluent and the privileged escape whilst the less fortunate are punished. Remember, who is it that gets away with this? It's the man. Whilst the woman is tried and judged to be a sinner. And at the core of this incredible story is what happens when a sinner is placed at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the place where everyone who calls himself a Christian needs to go often for forgiveness. And it's also the place where every person must go in order to experience the incredible promise of eternal life. I think that amongst the most powerful of all human experiences is to be able to give or receive forgiveness. Because everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea. Do you agree? It's good? Is it easy? 
It's a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. It's difficult to do well. But to be a Christian means to forgive the totally inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the totally inexcusable in you and me. Forgiveness is core to our spiritual freedom. But forgiveness is difficult because it pulls us against our concept of justice. We want revenge for, the suffer- for our suffering and for the offenses against us. And we're told never to take our own revenge. And so something within us kind of screams and shouts, why should I let them off the hook, Lord? They hurt me. It was wrong. How, how can you let them off the hook, God? Forgiveness is difficult because forgiving somebody who's hurt you feels like an injustice. They don't deserve it. But I think what we find as we read this passage, and particularly the gospel reading, is that God does not give us what we deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. And rather freely, he gives us what we need according to his mercy. And so what we learn from this, although very, very difficult, is that we are supposed to be merciful, just as our Heavenly Father is merciful. We are supposed to be forgiving, just as we have been forgiven. In the text, I think it's obvious that the Pharisees did not accidentally catch a woman in the act of adultery. They didn't just stumble across her. This was a planned attack to destroy her life and create a trap for the ministry of Jesus. Now, they condemn her, they criticize her, they destroy her, they mock her, they humiliate her. They sound like every newspaper I've read in the last five years. Their method is simple. They will use any means necessary to exploit her weakness and her failure. And John gives us their motive as well. They're not really concerned about her adultery and protecting the purity of her cult of their culture and society. They're much more interested in trapping Jesus by creating a situation where he needed to choose between his own message of forgiveness and the law of Moses passed down from generation to generation. What's beyond staggering, really, and still happens today, is that just as this adulterous woman had been used by her lovers for selfish reasons, so now too were the Pharisees using her for their own selfish and personal agenda. And I think that causes me to pause at this moment and serve a reminder to us all, and I include myself in this, no one is above this, I don't think, that we can all be like the Pharisees. We can all be guilty of pointing out failures and judging others and the very place that we should come to not experience that it happens as well we judge people by the color of their skin we judge people by the brand of their clothing we brand uh, we judge people by the type of car that they drive and whether the vicar's bumper is hanging off we judge people by their accent We judge people on their athletic prowess, where they went to school, their musical ability, their religious background, their weight, 
The list goes on and on and on. Do you tithe? You have a daily quiet time with the Lord. Do you not have a daily quiet time with the Lord? Did you attend a Christian school, one of those pagan private schools? You divorced. Oh, <laughs> you live at that end of the village. Sad, isn't it? Often the labels that we create define how we interact with one another rather than allowing the inextinguishable love of God to permeate everything we do and everything we say. It's not how Jesus did it, and it shouldn't be how we do it. I think what we pick up from this passage is that Jesus always loves the sinner and hates the sin. He always loves the sinner and hates the sin. We have to note that he tells the woman to stop sinning and to walk in light. He doesn't excuse her sin by referring to some extenuating circumstances or perhaps a difficult childhood or, or an abusive relationship, all of which are wrong, but he doesn't excuse the sin by the stuff she's going through. He doesn't call what the woman did some kind of personal choice that is just different to what he would have chosen for her. He calls it sin. And we say in our creeds, don't we, he will come again to judge the quick and the dead. The woman was caught in adultery. She was guilty. Now the depravity of, thank you Arthur, the depravity of the Pharisees did not make the woman any less guilty. Do you see what I'm saying? The law of Moses called for strict punishment for adultery. The law also provided a way of forgiveness, and that is something the Pharisees missed, and it's something we also can miss. Because actually, you know, when someone does something wrong, it's easy to forget all the things they've done right. Blame keeps the wounds open, but forgiveness heals. I think we see this not only in this passage, but throughout all of Scripture. The Bible contains example after example after example of sinners who repented and received forgiveness. Acknowledging sin, repentance, forgiveness. Within the whole story of the Bible, there's this overarching narrative of God making a way to rescue and to redeem and to forgive his people, his own creation, from their sin and to restore his relationship with them. Over and over again, the people disobey, or they go astray, or they hurt one another, or they worship idols, or do all sorts of stuff. And yet every single time they turn back to God, he forgives them. I think it's really, really important for us to know today that the offer of forgiveness still stands. Nobody is too far gone for God. Nobody is too far gone for God. Can you gently say that to the person next to you? You're not too far gone for God. You're not too far gone for God. Adam and Eve opted for rebellion, didn't they? And yet God pursued them, and in the end made a way for the whole of human race to experience redemption. Moses was a murderer in Egypt, and he murdered in anger. 
And yet God used him to rescue his people who were enslaved. Aaron made a golden calf and helped the people participate in idolatry. And yet later he was appointed head of the priesthood. Rahab, she was a prostitute in Jericho, yet she turned to the Lord and became part of Jesus's family tree. Are you getting it yet? In the New Testament, it's the same. Matthew, a tax collector with a terrible reputation, became one of Christ's disciples. What about the criminal who was on the, on the cross next to Jesus? Did he know him? No. Did he study his word? No. He turned to him at the last moment and Jesus cried out and welcomed him into paradise. What about Peter denying Christ three times at the very hour Jesus needed him? And yet he became a pillar of the church. And so when the Pharisees trapped this woman in adultery, yes, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy, but he forgives her. He forgives her her sins. This is who he is, the great forgiver. I wanted to put a little Queen song in here and change the lyrics. Oh, yes, I'm the great forgiver. This is who he is, the great forgiver. I think we have to remember this as we go about our lives. That passage from Romans, which so ably and wonderfully captures it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that overarching message from Scripture, and specifically two-thirds of all that Jesus talks about, is about forgiveness. We forgive because Christ forgave this woman. He forgave all the other misfits of Scripture. And he forgives us as well. Forgiveness does not change the past. It's really important to note. But it enlarges the future. So we're going to do two things as we finish. We're going to take a few moments. I want you to think about if there's anything you need forgiveness for. Because we can receive freedom today. Is there something you need forgiveness for? Something you're struggling with? Is there a particular issue? Something that you would like forgiveness for? Let's take a moment to think about that. Lord, we are sorry for our sins. Lord, we cry out to you. We turn to you again. And we seek your forgiveness. Confess your sins. The Lord is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, brothers and sisters, may you know your forgiveness. May you know you're forgiven. And may you walk from here freed from that burden. The second thing we're going to do is think about whether there's anybody we need to forgive, which is much harder. 
Think about the person you love in this world the absolute least. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Forgiveness is a command. I'm not saying it's easy. But who is it that you need to forgive today? And can you do that? Let's ask God to help us. Father, we're so aware of being hurt and so aware of the acute pain which we can feel from others in our lives. But we want to experience freedom. We want to experience release from that. We want not to change the past, but to enlarge our future, to be able to walk more fully and freely in your sight and in your love. And so, Lord, with all of our strength, we forgive those people or that person who has hurt us. In fact, we ask you, Lord, to bless them, to pour your spirit out upon them, to transform them into your likeness and to cover them with your grace. Lord, help me, help us walk free from the burden of unforgiveness. Lord, help us be people known not for our judgment, but for our forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to very briefly finish with a story I heard um, from a friend who's uh, in, in Chile. And he said a young lady who's from his village had emigrated from Chile to the USA. She was a devout Catholic. And Catholics, as you may be aware, have a practice of confession where you go to a, a sort of booth uh, to, with a priest and, and say your sins. You, you kind of list them, if you like. Uh, this lady found speaking English a real difficulty but when she moved to the USA, in her town was an English-speaking Catholic church. So she went. And it had been some time before she'd last uh, been to her confession. But she wanted to do it in English. So she had a friend. She wrote down her, her sins, and she had a friend uh, translate them into to English. So she arrived at the confessional booth with the priest. She sat down, the doors and the curtains shut, and she took out her list. And in English, she kind of muttered the words, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And she got out her list of the ones that she wanted to recall. She couldn't see anything. It was too dark. And so trying to adjust her paper again, she was like, oh, for forgive me, Father, I have sinned. She was desperately trying to find a glimmer of light so that she could read her notes and eventually after a few moments she got so frustrated she said no puedo ver which means I can't see to which the English American priest very kindly said estás perdonando viete y no peques mas which means your sins are forgiven go and sin no more she'd already confessed it She'd written it down twice, in Spanish and in English. The Lord knows. 
if you confess your sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us go from here, accepting his forgiveness, and in that same power, offer it to those whom we struggle, those whom we're called to love, and those who have hurt us. That is our challenge, but it releases us in Christ's freedom. Amen.